Today I'm going to read a lot of scripture. I'll just ask you to follow along, listen to it carefully. Let me say before I begin to read out of the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Mark, that uh, man, all thoughtful people have three questions that they ask from time to time. One of them is, uh, what can I do about my guilt? How do, I, how do I take care of my sin? What about the choices I've made that were wrong, the actions that I've done that were wrong, the relationships that I damaged? And I look back and I think, man, I have really made some serious mistakes. We might call it, but God just call it sins. So what do I do about my sins? What do I do about my past? The second question is, uh, what about who I am right now? How does my life have meaning? What, what makes me have a sense of purpose? And then the third question has to do with the future. What's going to happen to me when I die? I know I'm not going to live forever, and someday I'll leave this earth. What happens to me then? So our past, our present, our future. And Jesus came to give an answer to all of those through one basic event, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. The cross, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus says your past can be forgiven. Not overlooked, but it actually, the sins of all your life can actually be atoned for by it being placed on Jesus. And when he died on the cross and said it's finished, it was his way of saying all the debt, all the debt that you've worried about is gone, can be the little song we sing, gone, gone, gone. Yes, my sins are gone. Buried in the deepest sea. Yes, that's good enough for me. Something like that anyway. I would sing it, but I better not. <laughs> but uh, so his, his death takes care of our past. And then his resurrection tells us that we have a purpose, that life has a meaning. We're not on this earth for ourselves. We're here for the glory of God and to magnify and live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the answer to the question about our future, when he rose from the dead, he says, because I live, you can also live. And he answers the questions for our past, present, and future by his cross and by his empty tomb. But it's the cross I want us to focus on today. Just in reading this dozens of times this last week, my heart just so heavy. Think about the death of Jesus. And uh, I know for those of you who saw The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ, I've had so many people say that I, I just almost had to get up and walk out of the theater seeing the sufferings of Christ. And that was the purpose of that film, to show the passion. The word passion means pain or suffering, the sufferings of Jesus. 
And uh, I heard one pastor say that they took a group to see it and said, on the way home, not one word was spoken. Nobody said a word. They were just all so overwhelmed and awed by the sufferings of Christ. And uh, I think that's pretty much how it affected me. But the Bible doesn't really go into graphic detail about the sufferings of Christ. It's amazing how simple it just says, and they scourged him, and they crucified him, and it doesn't give focus to the physical pain of Jesus, although it was immense. We can't even imagine. Because the focus of the Bible is not on the physical sufferings of Christ, but on what was actually accomplished on that cross as the wrath of God against sin was poured out in full measure on Jesus as he died on the cross. It amazes me as I begin to try to put together the timeline how swiftly everything happened. You realize Jesus was probably arrested sometime around 11 o'clock at night or maybe even as late as midnight. And within nine hours, he would be on the cross. Within nine hours, he would have been taken to Annas to be examined for an indictment and they couldn't find anything. But then they brought him to Caiaphas and all the Sanhedrin that could be called together about one in the morning. And there they tried him and accused him of blasphemy and then they held him for a few hours and allowed the temple soldiers to make sport of him and to beat him and to spit upon him and to kick him and then at six o'clock in the morning they bring him to Pilate well actually at six o'clock in the morning they reconvene the Sanhedrin and they condemn him to death but they can't crucify him so they take him to Pilate And Pilate examines him, says, I I can't find anything wrong with him, discovers that he's from Galilee, so he sends him over next door to Herod. Herod examines him and then sends him back to Pilate. And now it's uh, probably by 8 o'clock in the morning. Pilate has him scourged almost to death presents him to the people again and said, Look, here's your king. I find no fault in him. What should I do with him? And they said, Crucify him. And then Pilate cowardly relents and says, I'm washing my hands of this whole thing. You take him and let him be crucified. And they take him up to Golgotha. And at 9 o'clock in the morning, he's nailed to the cross. 9 a.m. Can you imagine from midnight to 9 a.m., nine hours, all the suffering, the false trials, the shame, the abuse that he went through in those nine hours? Why the rush? What was the hurry? Well, I think for the Jews' perspective, the sooner the better. But do you know that throughout all of Israel on that very day at 3 o'clock in the afternoon every Jewish family took a little lamb and at exactly 3 o'clock they cut its throat and let it bleed out 
and they it was their Passover lamb. And according to Jewish law, it was to die at the ninth hour of the day. Starting, they started their day at uh, six a.m. And at three o'clock in the afternoon, every Passover lamb was slain. Just keep that thought in mind. Now I want us just, in fact, let's stand up as I read this passage of Scripture. It's a lengthy passage, but uh, I think you'll maybe enjoy standing out of reverence for the Word. In uh, verse 22, And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And if you go to Israel today, they'll take you out to a place called Gordon's Calvary. And if you stand back and look at it, it actually has the appearance of a skull. And so it may be that it was up on that ridge, that hill, that Jesus was crucified. Others think it may have been at another place, but it may have been called the place of the skull because so many people died there and their bodies were left there. And then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. They offered him a drink that would actually help numb the pain or bring some kind of uh, 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 maybe sense of unconsciousness, but he refused it. And they crucified him. And they divided his garments among them, that is the soldiers did, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. That's the third hour in the morning from 6 o'clock to the third hour is 9 a.m. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. Now, by the way, that sign was put there in mockery. Pilate had it put there in the... The Jewish Sanhedrin said, no, don't, don't say the king of the Jews. Say he claimed to be the king of the Jews. And Pilate said, what I've written, I've written. And uh, the inscription said the king of the Jews. And with him, they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. What mockery. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. And by the way, that's a true statement. He could not save himself and save us. In order for him to save us, he had to die. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Now Luke tells us that one of the thieves did uh, have a change of heart and change of mind. And when the sixth hour had come, what time would that be? High noon, that's high noon, six hours, 12 o'clock. There was darkness 
over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, it's three in the afternoon, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is a quotation from Psalm 22. And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let's see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And we know from one of the other Gospels that that loud cry was that one word, Finished. It is finished. Tetelestai. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. And there were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and mother the Mary of James the younger and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they had followed him and ministered to him, and there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, well, we'll stop right there. Go ahead and be seated. This, if you're hearing the Word of God, describing the last six hours in the life of Jesus. He was crucified, and we've talked about some time in the past the agony of that, having nails driven through your wrists and through your feet. In the other Gospels, you compare all the Gospels together, you find that Jesus actually said seven different statements while he was on the cross. The most famous one, I suppose, is the one where he prayed and said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. They don't understand the import of what they're doing right now. So a prayer of grace, a prayer of forgiveness even from the cross, the first words that he spoke from the cross was a word of forgiveness and mercy and grace to those who were crucifying him. He said at another time that he was thirsty. He said at another time to his mother and to John, the beloved disciple, a woman, behold your son, and son, behold your mother, and taking care of his mother and uh, even while he's dying on the cross. And then one of the thieves, the Bible tells us that one of the thieves was cursing Jesus and mocking him and saying, if, if you are who you claim to be, then save yourself and save us too. But the other thief, listening, said to the first thief, are you not afraid of God? Do you not fear God? You not know that we are receiving what we deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. He recognized that Jesus 
was sinless, just as Pilate had recognized and Herod and others. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, Master, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus spoke from the cross to that thief and said, Today you will be with me in paradise. Can you imagine? Here's a man dying on a cross. And he puts his faith in Jesus. And within hours, he is in heaven. He is with Jesus in paradise. So uh, a word of hope, even for those, you know, so many times. I have uh, been with people who were not believers. And they would say, as they were dying, they would say, is it too late? Is it too late for me? And I say, no, the Bible says, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I tell them of the thief on the cross. that here a man in the last hours of his life put his trust in Jesus, becomes a believer, and is saved. And I've had some who did that very thing in the last hours of their life. You think, well, that's, that's why it is wonderful. When I was pastoring at Daniel Dale Baptist Church up here, I baptized an 80-year-old man who had trusted Jesus. And I thought, this is going to be wonderful. Everybody's going to be celebrating. He'll be so happy. When he came down into the water to be baptized, he just began to weep profusely. He couldn't say anything. I went ahead and baptized him. When I took him up out of the water, he's still just weeping, weeping. And it, it wasn't tears of joy. And I couldn't quite understand. I thought, man, you ought to be so happy. Finally, when he composed himself after the baptism was over, I said, what? You sound like you're in grief. He said, do you realize that I have wasted my whole life? And he said, here at the last few minutes, the last minutes of my life, even though he lived a few more years, but he said, the, the end of my life, I received Jesus. And he said, I'm weeping over all that I've lost. He said, I could have been saved as a 10-year-old boy and lived my whole life for Jesus. But he said, now I've lived my whole life for myself. And I give the remains, the leftovers to Jesus. It kind of put a whole different perspective on it for me. And I would just say to all of you, you younger people, don't, don't waste the years that God gives you. Don't, don't burn your whole candle for yourself and then blow the smoke in God's face at the end of it. Trust Him. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1, Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth. If, you've not, if you're not saved, come to Jesus while you're young. And for those of you who are, well, I'm not young anymore, then don't live another day without Jesus. Trust Him while you can. And then... Jesus spoke 
that word from the cross that's recorded here, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a troubling verse, isn't it? Sometimes you, you know, hear people say, well, God didn't forsake Jesus at the cross. He was certainly there with him. He never did leave him or forsake him. And there's a certain sense in which that's right. But there is another sense in which while all our sin was on Jesus, there was a sense in which the holy, perfect God had to look away. And if if Jesus was bearing our sin and the consequences of our sin and the penalty of our sin, what is the penalty of sin? It is death, judgment, hell, and to be utterly forsaken by God. And in those three hours, from the twelfth hour, from noon to three, the Bible says there was a darkness that covered every place. And it was during that time that Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Look in your Old Testament to Psalm 22. This is a psalm written a thousand years before the birth of Jesus, written probably by King David. And just listen to this psalm. I won't read all of it, but I'll read a lot of it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All those who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. They say, he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. 
My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Isn't that amazing? Can you believe that that was written a thousand years before the crucifixion? And Jesus is quoting this psalm. It may be that he quoted the entire psalm while he was hanging there on the cross. And the only words that people heard was the first verse. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But then he quotes the rest of the psalm. And that psalm ends with confident hope and saying, There will be a generation that will be saved because of what I'm doing. Listen to the last few verses of that psalm. Uh, Verse 30 and 31. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. And it's something if Jesus were quoting this entire psalm on the cross, even if it were silently or in his own mind and heart, he starts off with those verses of feeling and saying and speaking about being forsaken by God. But he would conclude by saying, because of what is happening to me, many will hear of it and they will find righteousness as a result, and they will say, he has done it. He has done it. And so Jesus goes to the cross, suffers in shame and agony, and at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. By the way, I believe that he chose the time to die. When the soldiers came to break the legs of the people on the cross so they would be dead by sundown when they came to Jesus they said well he's already dead we don't need to break his legs and that of course fulfilled a prophecy that said not one of his bones would be broken and so one of the soldiers pierced him in the side with a spear and out of his side came water and blood indicating that his heart had literally broken and he died but he chose the time to die at three o'clock in the afternoon just as Jewish rabbis and Jewish fathers were putting the knife to the throat of the Passover lamb Jesus said it's finished and with a loud voice he gave up the spirit And he died as every little lamb across Israel was dying. 
being offered as a sacrifice for the sins of the people. The Lamb of God was giving up his life. And we know that he chose that. He said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own will. I have the power to take it up again. And uh, as he died on that cross, I'm sure that his enemies thought he is finished. But Jesus said, no, it is finished. The plan of redemption, the full payment price, the defeat of the enemy, and the certainty of salvation. It is finished. And then he hung his head and he died. He gave up his spirit. And we're told in the book of Hebrews that he did that by the spirit. It was his choice. And I would just say that the cross is the central focus of the Christian message. The cross and the empty tomb. Those two just go together. Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was buried. And then on the third day, he rose again according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. That's the message. It is by that message and faith in that message that people are saved. And those three questions are answered. By his death and resurrection, my sins are all forgiven. By his death and resurrection, I have purpose and meaning in life. By his death and resurrection, I have hope in life, eternal life to come forever. So as we think about the cross, the Apostle Paul said uh, of he had lots of things he could have bragged about. You know, Paul really could have bragged about a lot. But he said, I, I boast only in the cross of Jesus Christ. One of the hymns that Isaac Watts wrote said, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Never did such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown. Then he concludes that song by saying, Were the whole realm of nature mine. That would be a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. What Jesus wants to do through the cross is not just to save our souls and forgive our sins, but to win our heart and our love. We love him because he first loved us. How much does he love us? 
Herein is his love demonstrated in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the cross. For that uh, moment, that time, that place there on Golgotha where heaven and earth met. Jesus was lifted up and he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. And I thank you, Father, that you have drawn my heart to Jesus through the cross. And I pray for those who are here today, if there's even one person who has not come to the cross, that they might come and lay their burdens down, but more than that, not what they leave, but what they receive, that they might receive eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name I pray. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.